as many of you know, we're now into the silver phase of the 2020 Vision campaign. And while we're looking forward to the updates at Latham, it's important to remember the why of this campaign. Why are we doing this in the first place? Why is it so important? It all goes back to our campaign theme verse, Acts 1.8. Jesus said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what the 2020 Vision Campaign is all about. Being Christ's witnesses, his representatives, both here in our own neighborhoods and around the world. Here's our latest tally for total gifts to the 2020 campaign. And once again, big thanks to everyone who's given so consistently to 2020 over the last couple of years. God is using our church to be his witness through this campaign and the best is yet to come. Praise God. It's hard to believe that we're just a week away from Easter. This has been an exciting season for our church as we've come together across all four campuses for this year's Easter Invitation Campaign. And if you've been at church in the last few weeks, you know that as a church family, we've challenged each other to invite one person each week to our Easter celebration services. And you may say, why do we do it this way? What's so special about these invitations? Well, we know that our mission as a church is to make more and better disciples. As Pastor Rex has said, we introduce people to Jesus and we help them to get better acquainted. And we also know that from personal experience and from statistical data, that one of the most effective ways to introduce people to Jesus is by inviting them to church. All of us have people in our lives, friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors who need the hope and salvation that comes with knowing Christ. And honestly, Easter is a wonderful opportunity to invite them to take that first step. So don't leave today without one of these invitations on your person and pray over that thing. Pray that the Holy Spirit would impress on your heart the person that you need to invite this week. Pray for that person that your timing would be perfect and that they would receive your invitation with an open heart. And let's all be in prayer for Easter services at all of our Grace campuses, that the miraculous story of Jesus Christ's resurrection would break through barriers of isolation and shame and pride and draw our loved ones into a brand new life with Jesus. And now grab your Bible or your Bible app and find the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 as Pastor Rex brings a message about the up and down experience of the Apostle Peter in a sermon called, Failure Need Not Be Final. Well, hello and welcome everyone. It's great to see you all today. And I welcome those of you who are worshiping at each of our four campuses, wherever you may be. Failure need not be final. I want to tell you, the University of Virginia men's basketball team, the Cavaliers, are a beautiful example of that. This past Monday night, they won the greatest victory in all, all of NCAA Division I men's basketball. They went all the way. You see, about four weeks ago, the tournament started with 68 teams there, and 67 of them had lost by about midnight last Monday. Only one team remained, the Cavaliers. And what that meant is over 800 top caliber college ball players had experienced the agony of defeat. Well, the Virginia players were gracious, kind, and I believe pretty humble in their victory. But one of the reasons for that is that their character had been developed from a failure that happened a year ago. You see, here's the story. For those of you who may not know anything about 
college basketball. A year ago, the Cavaliers were a number one seed just like they were this year. In fact, they were the number one overall seed, which means that many, many people expected them to win the whole tournament last year. But do you know what? Last year, it was a shock of all shocks. The University of Maryland, Baltimore County, a tiny little school, number 16 seed they were, upset the Cavaliers in the first game of the tournament. They beat them, and they didn't just beat them, they beat them handily. That had never happened before, ever, in the history of the tournament. It was one of the biggest upsets of all time, and it was certainly the biggest upset in the history of the NCAA tournament. It had never happened. Many people believed that it never would. You can imagine the humiliation in that loss. Coach Tony Bennett was the target of a lot of ridicule and criticism and very unkind jokes. It would have been easy for him to become bitter, but see, Tony Bennett is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. And after that humiliating defeat last year, he said to his team, and I quote, if you learn to use adversity right, it will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. And you know what he started calling that loss? He called it the painful gift. His whole team knew it. And when he said the painful gift, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He's talking about that horrendous loss that we can hardly think about. Our utter failure last year, he's calling it a painful gift. And rather than let that failure define them, Virginia came back this year, one year after the colossal failure. And last Monday night, they won it all. They are the Division I champions. They've proven beyond a doubt that failure need not be final. You know what? We all hate failure, don't we? I believe we don't even like the word. We use all kinds of other words as euphemisms for failure. We say, I had a misjudgment. It was a miscalculation. It was a boo-boo, all right? We don't want to even use the word. It was a mess up, an error of judgment. It was a mistake. We dislike talking about it in general, and we really don't want to talk about our failures. But I want to tell you, folks, the Bible does not candy coat failure. In fact, Jesus started an organization... And he made a prerequisite of joining that organization. You have to be a failure. The kingdom of God is only open to sinners. People who are needy and know it. So, I'm sorry, friend. If you're not a sinner today, there's lots of organizations in the capital district that would love to have you. But you don't qualify for this one. The church, God's kingdom is only for people who failed, and they know it. Others need not apply. So today, I want us to look at the patron saint of failures. 
And if you've ever tripped and skinned your spiritual knee, if you've ever fallen short of your own standards, if you've ever broken God's laws big time and you know it, if you've ever let yourself and others down, my prayer all week long is that this message today would not only be an encouragement to you, but that this would actually be a breakthrough moment in your life. Because failure need not be final. You heard the scripture read earlier. But let me briefly rehearse the story. It's that last evening of Jesus' life on earth. He's being bounced back and forth from one kangaroo court to another. And you've heard the story if you've been in church, I'll bet, around Easter time, around Palm Sunday. You've heard the story of how Simon Peter warmed himself by the fire outside in the courtyard. And the text says that this little teenage girl, this servant of the high priest, said, wait a minute, I recognize you. You're one of them. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about, lady. He denied it. And she turned to the other bystanders. He said, this guy is one of them. I know him. I've seen him before with Jesus. And again, he says, look, you don't know what you're talking about. And things seem to be going okay. A little bit of time passes. But then some of the people standing around go, look, dude, your accent gives you away. We could recognize a Galilean accent anywhere. You're one of them. And scripture says that he literally called down curses on himself and said, in God's name, I don't know what you people are talking about. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed for a second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken, that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, folks, any way you slice it, that's a failure. I mean, it's like the NCAA tournament, final game, three seconds left, your team is behind by two, you've got the ball, it's in your hands, you can win it, and Peter throws up a brick. Buzzer sounds, game over, Peter failed. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Do you know how that feels? Have you ever been there in your life? Do you ever know what it means to stand alone, your face aflame with embarrassment, looking for a hole to crawl into, and you'd love to just pour, pull some dirt in over you? You'd honestly like to go back up to the video and punch rewind and hope you could do it better. It's kind of like country and western music. You know, they say if you rewind it, you get your house back, your car back, your dog back, you sober up, etc. Well, you want to go punch rewind and hope you can do it better this time. But the problem is what's been done is done. Peter denied Jesus. You can't change that fact. Jesus was executed. Easter came and went. And Peter failed him. Now today, I briefly want to just touch on three what I hope will be encouraging lessons that we can take away from this incredible 
real life story out of Peter's life. And I don't know what you're going through. But boy, I tell you, if your experience is anything like my own or like all the people I've ever talked to in my life, you know what it's like to feel the sting of failure. And I pray that today God would speak to your heart. And if you today are in a place where you feel like you've let God down, I'm praying that today will be a day of new beginnings. And even at the end of this message, there would be a moment where you could say, God, I'm coming back. I want to embrace the fact that failure need not be final. So let's draw three quick lessons here from Peter's life and story. Lesson number one, our failures don't need to cancel our giftedness. In fact, they don't cancel our giftedness. Did you notice in the story here that was read that as soon as Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing... This is found in John's Gospel, chapter 21. Do you remember what happened? Everybody around him, this leader, says, Me too. I'll go too. John and James and Nathaniel and Thomas say, Hey, I'll get in for that. I'm down for that. Peter was a natural leader. And the fact that he had grossly betrayed Christ did not cancel out that natural gifting. And if you're a natural leader, a person that people follow, I want to say to you today, whoever you are, whatever your age or background, I really believe you have a special responsibility. If you were the oldest child in a family of siblings, whether it was one or more siblings, perhaps you felt this growing up. I'll bet if it's like the normal family, your parents look to you and if Something went wrong, they kind of held you more accountable, didn't they? That's usually the way it usually happens. They look to you as more responsible. Why? Because you're the oldest. You're supposed to be the leader. And even though Peter was a failure, he was a gifted failure. And people still followed him, and that means that he still had responsibility to steward that gift. Our failures do not cancel our giftedness. But can I tell you what they do? They tend to shrink our vision. I've seen it as a pastor over and over again. When a person backslides or drifts from Christ, when a person has a season of failure where they're taking more steps back than forward, it tends to shrink their vision of how God can use them. And like Peter, we grab our tackle box and say, well, I guess I'd better go fishing. God can't use me anymore. Remember, up until this time, Jesus had called Simon Peter to be a fisher of men and women. He'd been leading souls into the kingdom of God. But when he failed, he said, God can't use me anymore. Guess I, I, I might as well go back and fish. Our failures have a way of shrinking our vision of how God can use us. But I want to say to you today, all you got to do is read your Bible to see that the Bible is full, whether you're talking about Moses or David or, yes, Simon Peter, the Bible is full of men and women who failed God horribly. And yet, when God brought them back, God used them magnificently. And I can't help but believe that I'm speaking to someone today 
that you've basically considered yourself put on the shelf by God because of your failure, I say no way. God's still got a plan. He still wants to use you in a marvelous way. But I want you to move with me now to the second scene, and then we'll see our second lesson. Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they see him from the boat where they're out there fishing. And there's some dialogue that goes back and forth, and they recognize that it's Jesus. And if you were Simon Peter, and you suddenly recognize, well, that's Jesus there on the shore, is that good news or bad news? Remember, you failed him horribly. And we don't know all the dialogue or what has gone on in between, we know there have been some appearances, but how would you feel at that moment? Simon's going to have to look now into the eyes of the master that he's failed. He's going to have to come face to face with what he did and did not do <laughs> there in the courtyard. I wonder what's going through his mind as he stood in the boat, as he had that moment of recognition. I'd like to think that Peter was thinking of that moment some years before when he had been out in a wilderness area along the Jordan River where John the baptizer was baptizing people and Jesus came along and said, hey, you're Simon Barjona. It means son of a dove. But I'm going to call you Peter the Rock. And it was a turning point in Peter's life. Wouldn't that be a strange thing for someone to walk up and go, hey, what's your name? Oh, well, now I'm going to name you this. It's kind of weird, actually. But there's a lot of power in that. Jesus is saying, you are Simon Barjona, son of a dove. You are flighty, erratic, fickle, one minute saying, Lord, I will never deny you. And the next minute swearing, I never knew this man. But Jesus says, give me your life. And I'm going to make you a rock. You are this, but I'm going to make you that. So here's the second lesson I want us to take away. Our failures don't cancel out our giftedness. But we become what we're called and committed to. Has anyone done for you what Jesus did for Peter? A coach? A mentor? A parent? A grandparent? A friend? A pastor? A group leader? Rex, you are this, but you know I see things in you. You can become this. We grow at the points where people believe in us. In fact, I think you could even call this the Simon Peter principle. That you and I are largely, in the end, the product of those who have believed in us. And unfortunately, we are also the product, to some degree, of those who have failed to believe in us. Think about it. What Jesus believed in was exactly the opposite of what Peter was. He looked at this shifting, inconsistent person and he said I see a solid rock here but the truth is we tend to become what we're called and committed to 
Many of you have seen that old classic movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring Jack Nicholson. He plays a character, Randall P. McMurphy. He's a mental patient and the ringleader of a bunch of troublemakers there in the asylum. And perhaps you remember the scene where he springs them out and they're enjoying their release from this mental asylum and they decide they're going to go fishing. Now notice here the parallels between that story and Peter's. So they go down to the pier and they're about to appropriate a luxury cruiser when a man in the guard shack comes out and says, whoa, wait a minute, who are you? And this is the classic scene. This is an amazing moment. Randall P. McMurphy, the character that Jack Nicholson is playing, with a wry smile and a sweep of his arm goes, my dear sir. I would like to introduce you to the, a group of the most eminent psychiatrists in America. And then he goes down and he starts naming them. Meet Mr. Bob Bibbit, Mr. Bromden, Mr. Martin. And here's what's so beautiful. As he names them, each of them begins to play the part. These dejected broken mental patients suddenly become the thing they're called. They stand tall, dignified. They nod condescendingly as their name is mentioned. We become the people we're called. When somebody has the audacity to believe in us, and if we really understood that, friend, and the power that is in words, we would be a whole lot more careful in what we say. I knew a man in this church years ago. He's since moved to another state with business. His whole life had been shaped by early words that his mom spoke to him. I'm going to quote her. With anger and disgust in her face, once when he had failed as a young man, she looked condescendingly at him and said, you are never going to amount to anything. All you are is an embarrassment to me. You're never going to be anything. Now here's a young man who's incredibly gifted, a leader by nature, people followed, but he lived his whole life under the awful shadow of those shaping words. And some of you have tape recorders going off in your own brain right now. Words that have shaped you for bad or for good. Let's be careful about how we use words. And when we use them, let's be careful. Let's be faithful to call people to something higher. What God can do in them and through them. Jesus gave Peter the room to fail and to fail and to fumble, but in those stumbling moments to grow. I believe that Peter stood tall and very quiet as Jesus called him rock. But something began happening in him. I'm convinced of it. And even though he still stumbled and failed and st stuck his foot in his mouth over and over again, I believe something was changing inside of Simon Peter as Jesus believed in him and he became that courageous, clear-eyed rock who would later lead the church through the book of Acts and actually end up dying on a cross upside down 
courageously living to the very end for the Lord he loved. What happened? He became the rock he was called to be. Now, there's a very strange verse in the book of John, chapter 3. It comes just before John 3.16. Verses 14 and 15 read like this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And you go, what in the world does that mean? It's a reference back to that weird season in the wilderness where the children of Israel have been bitten by these poisonous snakes and people are dying. And the Lord said, Moses, if you'll make a serpent out of bronze and lift it up on a pole, those who look at it will be cured. Every scholar I've ever read believes that was a foreshadowing of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And even though the world had been stung by the cobra, bitten by the cobra of sin, Jesus said, on the cross, I'm going to absorb all that venom in my body, and I'm going to die to defang your failures. I heard a story of a little girl. She and her mom were riding along in the car, and there was a bee in the car. You know how this happens when the weather gets warm. And a bee gets trapped in there, and this little girl was petrified by this bee. She was so afraid of being stung. She was literally just stymied with fear. She said, Mommy, Mommy, it's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. It's going to get me. And her mom reached over with a tissue. And with that tissue, grabbed the bee in her own hand, and this wonderful mom turned to her daughter and said reassuringly, don't worry, dear. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And because of the cross, hear me today. You can say to your past, there's no more sting. Jesus has taken that away. The past is nothing but a stingerless bee, ultimately, that can never separate us from the love of God. Might there be reper repercussions in this world? Sure. But ultimately, you are victor over any failure of your past. Your failures don't cancel your gifting. We become what we're called and committed to. But quickly, I want us to move to the third and final scene. Oh, I love this. It says that Simon jumped into the water after he put on his outer garment. I understand that fishermen of that day, to move more freely, would often fish with their outer garment taken off and just maybe a loincloth on. He puts on this outer garment, dives into the water. He is eager and excited. He wants to get to Jesus. He's overwhelmed with joy. As I think, that Peter knows the joy of being a forgiven failure. Lesson number three, a forgiven failure is free to succeed. I don't know if they still sell it or not, but for years, Nike had an inspirational poster that literally millions of young people bought and put up in their room or in an office somewhere. This poster sold millions. Let me tell you what its message was. The poster read, I missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 
26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. And it's signed by Michael Jordan. Let me ask you, are you in an atmosphere where you can fail enough in order to succeed and grow? Growth and success comes only when you're free to fail. Have you ever heard of Chuck Colson? He passed away some years ago. He was on the inner staff of Richard Nixon at one of the guilty parties in the Watergate scandal. He served time in prison for his crimes. But God used this in his life to break Colson's pride and ultimately to bring him to salvation. And Chuck Colson started one of the most impactful and enduring prison ministries of all time, a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And before he passed away, Colson said, and I quote, my greatest legacy is my greatest failure. My greatest humiliation, being put in prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. And friends, I want to tell you, the 20 centuries between Simon Peter and Chuck Colson, God hasn't changed one bit. Today, he can use your failure. He can use my failure. He can forgive us. He can use us for his glory. So if you failed, please don't let it shrink your vision. God has called you for a comeback. He's called you to be restored. He's called you to renew your vision. He's called you to be what he designed you to be. Nothing more exciting than a comeback. And Peter had a dramatic comeback. I think I'm talking to people today who need a comeback. Perhaps you've been backsliding from God. Perhaps you've been drifting from Christ. Perhaps you've been compromising morally. It's time to come back. Maybe you're far away from home. Maybe there's a city somewhere in this country or in another country where you have family and friends who know Christ. Perhaps you have a pastor who's watched you grow and mature, and you know that if they knew where you are right now, they'd be all over you about your relationship with Christ. They'd do it lovingly, but they'd do it firmly. And you know you're in a place where you need a comeback. I urge you, obey the Holy Spirit today and let today be your day. I believe I'm talking to some people who once had a great vision for your life. It wasn't just your own pomposity, cock, you know, creating this. This was Jesus giving you a vision for your life. And somewhere, through a failure or two, that has been lost. And Satan is sifting you like wheat. Jesus said to Simon, Simon... Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Maybe Satan has sifted you. But it's time to turn around. And I close with this thought, and then we're going to pray. Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter, when you think about it, did almost exactly the same thing. Have you ever thought about that? They both betrayed Christ 
big time. The difference is that each man, the difference is what they did after they betrayed Christ. Judas didn't come back. Judas went into a suicidal depression. But Peter, after weeping, accepted God's grace and came back. Peter failed, but he failed forward. And he saw failure as the painful gift. And by God's grace, he proved that failure need not be final. Would you bow your heads with me today at each of our locations? For just a moment, I want to ask you a question, and then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Do you know in your life that there's some failure that has shrunk your vision? That's my question. Somewhere where you took a wrong turn. Somewhere where you let God or, and others down. Somewhere where you know, listen, I fell short. It's hard for you to even talk about, perhaps. Maybe you've not really talked about it much with others. But it's shrunk your vision of what God can do for you. Today is a comeback day for you. Do not let Satan get a victory in your life. He's desired to sift you like wheat, but you allow God today to bring you back and restore you just like he did Simon Peter. But it begins with a confession if you've never done that. Many people I know, they've already confessed it, in fact, over and over again, but they've refused to forgive themselves. Forgive yourself today. Confess it to God, receive his forgiveness, and then forgive yourself and allow him to restore you and to start you on a path, a meaningful path of service and life for him today. So as we pray, would you just confess that thing now to God? I'm just going to wait 15 or 20 seconds and you name it to God right now, silently, right where you are. Confess that to God. And now would you write where you are silently, would you say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And that your grace is greater than all my sin. And then please pray this prayer. Lord, would you restore me? Increase my trust in you. I choose to follow you into the future. Whatever you have for me. Because failure need not be final. Now, Father, I pray for all of those who've prayed this prayer and been re restored and are on that path. I pray, oh God, that they would go from victory to victory. When they stumble, may they understand what grace is. You get back up, you confess it, and you receive God's forgiveness, and you keep on going. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen.